0: And we're back on the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. We are here together once again. Hopefully, it feels you're not like too. We just did this, yeah. <laughs> dear listener. We often record a couple episodes in a row, so this is this is round two, and uh, we're just as excited to get into this because we're about ready to embark on the journey of the strategies, the types, as some people call them, and. This is the origin story, the dark and mysterious origin. origin story of the strategies. Sifting through the mist of time. <laughs> Gosh. Um,
1: going back hundreds of years. <laughs> hundreds.
0: Thousands. I'm, I'm going to share what I learned from the Sufis when we, uh, here we go here. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain that.
2: Uh, well, you know, the whole idea of the Enneagram coming from the Sufis and so sure. forth and, uh, you know, and... and Having a good friend who is a Sufi scholar and Sufi Sheikh, um, the one thing I've learned is that the Enneagram
0: of Personality did not come from the Sufis, but that's a whole different story. It's another story. Yeah. That's the that's the prequel to that's this. the prequel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, scandalous. So, the implications and the explanation of why does Awareness to Action use the word strategies and the corresponding words associated with that. That would be, that'd be great to so talk should about. should I just start talking?
2: Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. where, are, Actually, are you, I want to hear from Maria Jose like first. Yeah, go ahead, Maria Jose.
1: No, 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 you go ahead. You know, you're you prepared for this. <laughs> no, I want you. It's, <laughs> it's your thing. And I, you know, I was wondering. <laughs> you, like You want to take the rest of the day off? Yeah, Is that what you're was, yeah? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will add <clears throat> during this, the talk, the conversation, but go ahead.
0: I, no, I, right. Actually, I want you to say what you think he's going to say in Spanish, <laughs> and then he's going to pretend to translate it, and it's probably going to be exactly accurate.
2: <laughs> and then somebody will ask me, are you familiar with Mario Jose's work? And, uh... Yeah, especially
1: after all the videos I've been posting, you know, hey. I don't mention your name at all there, just so you know, be prepared for it. It's in Spanish. <laughs> And I have not mentioned your name. Is right.
0: this is this like the beginning stages of you two suing each other for? That, that's exactly right. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. It'll, it'll be two. like the uh, uh, you know the NLP guys. You know, uh, she'll try yeah. to shoot me or something. Or you know, what happened there? I don't know. So. <laughs> Too Anyways. expensive to go
1: there to shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, you there's a country between anthrax, us. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. Something <laughs> like that. God, <laughs> oh. <dear. laughs> Well, bringing us
0: back to some actual valuable content for our listeners, Um, strategies, what are they, why are they there? Uh,
1: Well, I will say something. No, go ahead.
0: So way back
2: in the last century, um, literally, you know, the the end end of the 90s, (laughs) (laughs) um, when I started using the the Enneagram and organizations way back... um, you start to run into different challenges using the Enneagram in organizations. And one of the first ones is that the people you're working with are not seeking to become Enneagram experts, right? They're seeking uh, information that they can remember and that they can use. And one of my frustrations with the Enneagram, as it was being taught and written about at the time, was that when people talk about what it meant to be a particular type, it would either just give a name, like the peacemaker or the helper or something like that, which never really felt right to me because it felt like a label that you're placing on someone that is describing something external rather than something internal. Or you could say, well, you know, this is the lustful type or the angry type or the envious type or something like that using the the nine um, vices again, doesn't translate real well to organizations, right? Well, the problem is you're the gluttonous type, you know. So I, most of the descriptions of the types were basically lists of traits, which people aren't going to remember, okay? So I started wrestling with when we say somebody's a 4 or a 1 or an 8 or whatever they are, what are we actually saying, right? What's the thing we can say to be true? Of everybody of that, quote unquote type. Now I don't have an issue with the word type. Okay, Uh, a lot of people do. That used to be a big topic of conversation on Facebook forums. Oh, people aren't types. Blah blah blah. Uh, That's besides the point, right? When we say somebody's a type, we're just saying they're the type of person who does this, right? They're the type of person who likes football. Saying, right? mm-hmm. They're the type of person who likes asparagus or turnips in their beef stew. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, yeah, boy, Call bring back. it all the way around, right? So, uh, so, you know, calling somebody a type, all we're saying is that they're the kind of person who does X. But what is that X that they're doing? Mm-hmm. And so I was wrestling with that, and I was reading Claudio Naranjo's character, Neurosis, at the time. It's a great book don't agree with everything in it, but it's a great book. And at some point he refers to the types as adaptive strategies, right? Meaning ways that we solve the problems that life brings our way. And I thought, that's it. I like that term, right? First of all, it was accurate in my experience. It reflected a way of engaging with the world rather than what someone is. And it was also business-friendly, right? Because businesses talk about strategy all the time. Okay, so now all we're doing, you know, so it was an idea that business people could certainly get. Okay, oh, okay, well, we know what a strategy is, right? It's how you it's how you sell your product. It's the, it's the theme of the things you do. So I decided that would be it, but then I had to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean, right? I mean, what are these strategies? So I landed on this idea. At the time, I was talking about... People striving to be something, right? That's the original terminology we used, and I think it's still in the print version of Awareness to Action. In English. Striving to be in English, yes. Uh, but striving to be, um, you know, unique. Striving to be perfect. Striving to be this or that. Eventually, I started to realize it was more about striving to feel a certain way. Okay, that the strategy started with an affective need, a regulating way because all the great philosophers all the great cognitive scientists will tell you that we are affect driven or feeling driven creatures right we make decisions based on feelings and then we rationalize those feelings and then act on those rationalizations even though we think that we're you know rational creatures we're really not most of the time so started thinking, all right, we like this idea of striving to feel. My strategy is, if I feel this way, then I'll be able to solve my problems. And then we just had to settle on the word. Uh, Bob Talon and I um, started saying, okay, well, what is that word that fits everybody we know of a particular type? And we spent about two years of trial and error, right, of testing certain words and seeing if it was really the right word. And not only at the point itself, but it also had to work at the connecting point and the construct that we had come up with relating to the connecting points as well. So if it worked, you know, say U Creek as a, as a, as a four, if striving to feel unique works for point four, does it also work for the dynamic we're describing at points two and one? Mm-hmm. Okay, And if not, we would change the word. Right. So uh, so there's a lot of trial and error, but we eventually settled on these nine words. And I don't think those, if I could just say, I don't think those nine words have changed um, mm-hmm. at all since we originally wrote Awareness to Action in 2004.
0: OK, so how to so explain, like striving to feel perfect, striving to feel connected. How does that work in congruence with striving to feel unique?
2: Yeah. So at the time, again, the teaching that I had learned was that there was a, you know, there was your type. Okay,
0: I was a type A. I am a type A. Okay, you haven't transcended your type yet.
2: Uh, not yet. I'm working. I'm really, really close. <laughs> Real I'm close. I'm hoping. Okay. I'm hoping by Sunday uh, that I'll get there. <laughs>
1: How many um, hours have you been working on it? <laughs>
2: 10, three, four. Yeah, three, four. Yeah. Three, or four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, over, over a long time. Of course, yeah. you know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Um, <laughs> So so as an eight for me, uh, I'm connected to points five and a point two. And the way I had learned it, the way it was taught at the time for the most part, was one of the connecting points was a stress point, one was a security point, or one was your direction of integration, the other was your direction of disintegration. And I remember thinking, you know, because I would have a lot of people come to me and say, you know, you've got a lot of five stuff going on, right? Um, you know, you're, you are you seem five-ish in some ways. I had not really um, met you.
1: It's like me when I first <laughs> met you. <laughs> like, I felt just so silly. Uh,
2: you felt so silly? Well, I'm sorry, what do you mean?
1: When I said, ah, oh, you should talk more, you should influence more, I was like not understanding that you were doing all of that behind the scenes. But anyway, go (laughs) ahead.
2: Right, know, And, you know, look, I'm a writer and, you know, I've read a book or two and, you know, I like to use big words and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, and and honestly, I'm fairly shy, right? Uh, Outside of my uh, professional domain, I'm a fairly, you know, shy person. So people would say you got a lot of five going on. And I would interpret that as, well, that's a negative thing. Right. Because as an eight looking five ish means that you're disintegrating or you're under stress or something like that. But it just didn't feel as if my fiveness or whatever people were seeing was necessarily negative. And then Sandra Matra came along and in her book, you know, talked about this and said, no, it's more complicated than that. We We go each direction. It, good times or bad times, right? So an 8 can access 5 in a good way or it can access 5 in a negative way. With you as a 4, you can access point 0.1 in a positive way or point two in a negative way. It doesn't mean that if you're accessing point 0.2, you're disintegrating in some way or you're under stress. Okay, It's just where we go. Because when one strategy doesn't work, we go to another. Okay, and that's, again, what I liked about the strategy. And the Enneagram is set up in such a way that the connecting points have a logic to them. Okay, it's, not, it's not just random, although you know, the question is, could we rationalize some logic, even if you threw all the numbers up and you know, they landed in different places? Mm-hmm, Maybe, mm-hmm. right? But there is a, a logic to it.
1: Yeah, and, ju- and, I, and just like with the instinctual biases, more than these discrete jumps from one to another it's more of a profile that it's created so ones have or use strategy at point one and point seven and point four in different ways looking at it like that it's It's not like you're becoming somebody else, but there's a part of you that behaves in some ways and in different ways in other situations. It's not that you're kind of becoming something else.
2: Yeah. Uh, That's a really important point, and it it gets to the problem of seeing these types as entities, right, rather than strategies, okay, Mm -hmm. because... Every, you know, when people say, Oh, we have all nine types in us, I, you know, I, I just don't know what that means, right? Uh, you know, it, it There's, uh, does it mean I've got all these, you know, these eight or nine little people living inside my head? And, you know, every so often one of them comes forward or something like that. You're know, kind of like the, 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 the alien from Men in Black, you know, the little guy inside my mm-hmm. head. But when you start to say, Well, you can use all nine of the strategies, say, Okay, yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. But also, everybody is going to be more naturally inclined to using some of the strategies more frequently than others, right? So there's some strategies, I'm sure I've used them, you know, at some point in my life, but not very much, okay? Striving to feel peaceful, for example, is collecting a lot of dust in my psyche, right? Uh, you know, it's just not a strategy that I use all that much, okay? So... Anyway, so the strategies are a way of being. Okay, They're not discrete entities. When it comes to the connecting point, because Bob and I, when we were writing Awareness to Action, we were thinking about, okay, how do people get into trouble? Okay? Because you know, that, when I'm working with a client, that's what I'm interested in. If you're doing fine, um, okay, good for you. You don't need me. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. Okay, so um, (laughs) I just can't take
1: (laughs) the image of you being a cheerleader (laughs) out of my head.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, George W. Bush was a cheerleader, (laughs) so you know. uh, uh, Anyway, Uh, (laughs) uh, so we started looking at the problematic dynamic of the connecting points. Okay. And we started calling one of them the neglected strategy because I get into trouble when I tend to neglect this strategy. And the other one, the support strategy, because I can fall back on using that strategy to reinforce some of my negative behaviors related to my own strategy. So as an eight, I don't go to five uh, because I'm disintegrating. I don't go to five because I'm under stress. I go there in two circumstances, sometimes good ways because it helps me to take a deep breath to think to you know to plan rather than just to impulsively act, to get uh, perspective. or I can do it in a more negative way where I emotionally detach and I can fall into a pattern of you know um, you know uh, almost aloof aggression, we call it. Right, uh, it's like uh, it's like Michael almost. Corleone during the baptism. <laughs> yeah, almost, <laughs> I think it's, it's
1: easy like to make it so relative in this case. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Folks, this is why we have Maria Jose on. That's she knows right. Mario too well, and we'll call him out. I love it. She, she, she removes all the
2: qualifiers I try to stick yes. in there. Like, who are you trying to fool? Uh, 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 so, you know, it's like Michael Corleone during the baptism scene. You know, do you renounce Satan? Yes, I do. Kaboom, you know, blowing people up and shooting them and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, these are some of the di- problematic dynamics we see. Now, again, mm-hmm. to my point, is the, the terminology had to work in those circumstances. Right. Uh, it wouldn't have worked if, you know, eights didn't get into trouble when they neglected striving to feel connected, which is the strategy of point two.
1: To me, one of the, the beauties of looking at the strategies of the types through these lens is that it is easier to remember. It's not just a long list of traits, but it also talks to, I mean, speaks to the logic of each profile, and how they see the world. When Mario was saying they're striving, we're all striving to feel a particular way and that influences the way we think about the world and then how we act. That is the logic of each person. And when you understand the logic, that's a very powerful tool. That's what truly allows you to put yourself in other people's shoes. When you see the traits, you're able to classify them, but you're Mm. not able to understand them as well as with the logic.
0: That's great. It's a, it's a
2: really important point because it does allow you to be more compassionate, okay? Because you stop looking at people and thinking, what's the matter with that person? With the line from uh, a Full Metal Jacket, you know, "What what is your major ma- da- malfunction pile? Um, <laughs> you know, it's not that, it's just a different kind mm-hmm. of logic, right? So when I look at say a four and they, you know, he is doing all those weird things that fours do. It's unique things, n- unique not things. weird. There you go. Distinct. <laughs> Distinct. Distinct. If you want, yeah. it's it's, <laughs> it, it, it's logical, right? Mm-hmm. If I were motivated by the same thing, I would probably end up in the same place.
0: Yeah, okay. I think the enneagram already fosters compassion to begin with, even sure. even in the language of uh, B, right? Mm-hmm. But I think. Your language takes it a step further in that it's it's more dynamic, yeah, and it and it encapsulates things a little bit more freely. And and I want to be careful about you know
2: comparisons uh, because uh, you know I'm not fully up to date on what everybody is saying and writing out there, sure. You know? sure. And so um, you know, and your comparisons fine, but but for me, the big distinction is not is staying away from what somebody is and focusing mm-hmm. on what they do right yeah because i'm a nominalist i'm not an essentialist
0: okay um, which means <laughs> i thought you'd never ask <laughs> oh no <laughs> that look, we're that's we're out of time today <laughs> <laughs>
1: he told you lunch <laughs> Maria Jose can you uh
0: shorten this podcast up for us and just tell us what Mario's is going to say in, in shorter yeah. words <laughs>
2: so so essentialism is that this thing has an essence right a, a, a horse is a horse is a horse you know of course of course um, and you that's all there is to it Okay, so there's a, a, a core essence of the thing that is eternal and so forth, right? It's a way of classifying things. That's the way biology used to happen. If you go back to Aristotle, they, you know, because Aristotle didn't understand evolution, right? They didn't have any history, you know, and no fossil record or anything like that. So horses were always horses, and that's all there was to it. But then we start to learn that, well, horses aren't just horses. There's been a whole chain of, you know, different entities and so forth. Now, nominalism is the assumption that there's a core essence to something, and the thing is the thing itself. Nominalism, on the other hand, is, well, that's just what we call something that has these characteristics, right? So, again, when... I think you misspoke. Did I misspeak? Okay, yeah, thanks. You said nominalism
1: twice. I mean, describe ah, both. Well, thank you. Thank you.
2: They're both the same thing. Well, see, one of them has two M's, right? And so, you know,
0: (laughs) we don't need any more complications.
2: (laughs) What I meant was, essentialism is this view that the thing is the thing itself.
1: Well, I have my own description of this. Yeah, go ahead. In practical terms, when you think that something, somebody is a particular way, then I can't change. Yes. If I'm mm-hmm. acting a particular way, I can change my behavior. So it's much more practical to think in terms of uh, using a strategy that, rather than being a type.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> so the, the type is not fixed, right, is you know the point. Uh, you're absolutely right, Maria Jose, and, and this is what we find with our clients very often is that when we explain to them is the issue is not that you are a three. It's that you tend to overdo or ineffectively do striving to feel outstanding. Mm-hmm. And you can modify that. Now, will striving, to, will anything other than striving to feel outstanding ever be your most habitually used strategy? Eh, probably not right? Unless there's some extreme experience that occurs. Okay. But you can change the way that expresses in you from a maladaptive way to an adaptive way.
1: Yeah, it will manifest in different ways. I was playing tennis this morning. I have a class every week and my teacher was observing me and how when I made a mistake, I kind of lost focus and I stopped looking at the ball. And he said, don't focus on getting the movement perfect. Just continue, go on, don't don't pay attention to that. Uh, It doesn't need to be perfect. You need to just put it on the other side, on the other side of the court. And I said to him, look, that will not work with me. (laughs) Just be happy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's another version of just be happy. I said, look, I will continue to worry about getting it perfect. Now, if you help me redefine perfect here, and it's not just doing the perfect movement, but putting it in a particular place or with a particular speed or something more broader than just the movement, I can focus on that. But don't even try. I mean, and I can try to not worry about getting it perfect, but it will not work.
2: Yeah. You, you can't ask people to abandon the strategy. You have to help them use it in a more adaptive way, right, is yeah. what it's coming down to.
0: What we're referring to on the uh, just be happy thing. <laughs> as, an, as an example, um, I was part of a, a panel at some Enneagram event and I was, I was, you know, trying to be authentic and, and real and, and I shared some like personal things in front of everyone. And, and the person that was, uh, in charge of facilitating that panel just said, well, I just keep telling, I just tell Forrest that you just need to work on being happy. Just, I, I was stunned. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, it does. It doesn't work like, like that. And it was, um, yeah, just not, not, the, not, not. The greatest moment <laughs> yeah
2: it, it, it not only does it not work but it's uh it's disrespectful in a way it's yeah, absolutely right Absolutely, it is you know what what you're experiencing is not valid mm-hmm. just abandon it and be what i want you to be right
1: mm-hmm. it also shows just not getting it <laughs> to me, it's just not understanding uh, what
2: works and what doesn't. What right? are, yeah.
1: yeah, what are you talking about? This doesn't work like that. Have you really worked? Has it really worked for you? Mm. That um, to tell people to stop—I mean, to st- just be happy—and they become—they're mm. happy. It just doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah, it, and I can I can extrapolate from that and understand their the path to how I can get caught in my own emotions and just and make myself sad right and that's not in some ways it's not true sadness but just to say it, it's oh, what's that the the late night host long time ago who was just like stop it oh um, yeah it was bob newhart right the comedian. bob newhart right. and yeah, we should put that in the show notes yeah um for people to watch it's <laughs> even yeah even when i'm working with some when clients i'm just I'm just listening to them go on. I'm just gosh, just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, and,
2: and, and not only is it, you know, all these things we've already talked about, you mm-hmm. know, dismissive, insulting, you know, not going to work, but it's just not helpful. And it leads right. to additional frustration because you can say to yourself, even if you took that in the best possible way and said, you know what, I do just need to be happy. Well, how the hell do I do that? Right, (laughs) you know, give me give me some tools I can use here. Give Mm -hmm. me some techniques. Help me get there, right? Okay. And so, with the strategies that you know, again, this is how you know we have a particular process. And down the road, we'll get to the awareness to action process because we we don't want to just tell somebody stop doing this and start doing that. We need to help them get there step by step in a way that's going to resonate with them in a way that's going to work with them. Okay. But if you're seeing them as just this fixed thing well, then you can't help them get there, right? Because by
0: definition, right. they're not going to change. The irony is, in my situation, right, the the way to be more happy is to actually be more sad at first. Like, I have to go deeper into the sadness, like being aware of that emotion um, and, and figure out what's actually going on and, and let that emotion metabolize before I can start having some level of perspective and... Ability to possibly feel the sensation we call happiness, or at least neutrality.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I may have used this uh, example before, but it's it's you know it's Emerson and his monster, right? I can Mm -hmm. I can run around trying to avoid this thing. Emerson said we all have this monster that we carry around that's all our fears and anxieties and hostilities and so forth, and we all try to get away from it. You know, running zigzagging through the woods. But the way to get to resolve it is to just sit on a log and talk to it, right? Mm -hmm. So the four needs to spend some time sitting on the log and talking with their melancholy or their sadness Mm -hmm. or whatever it is and work through it and dissipate it, right, Mm -hmm. rather than rejecting it and just letting it get stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I I do want to say that, uh, you know, there are people who, will kind of make these differentiations too of, you know, levels of health, for example, you know, Don and Russ's uh, uh, model of levels of health that delineate, you know, healthy versions of the type from unhealthy versions of the type. So, you know, we're not the only ones who have come along and said, you know, it's, you know, there's a, there's movement of sorts. Mm -hmm. The, The reason that language doesn't work for us is because it's not language you can use in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't go in and start saying that some people are unhealthy uh, and others are healthy yeah? because it's discriminatory, it's labeling, it's judgmental. The language we use is, you know, under stress, right? Typically at our best when under stress, which is, you know, more neutral and something that everybody can relate to. It's not that I'm unhealthy, it's that I'm feeling stress and pressure and not at my best. And I feel like I have some ability to manage that. You know, you tell me I'm unhealthy, I'm saying, mm, well, okay, that's, that's a bigger kettle of fish to deal with. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that there are two additional points there and you're not, you might not be unhealthy all the time. You might be showing unhealthy behaviors with some people in some circumstances, but not necessarily all the time. And my experience is that Don and Russ did use to teach it that way, but it's not always understood in that, I -hmm. mean, like that. Absolutely. You you just say this person is unhealthy or at level five and it just, yeah, it doesn't show the whole reality of the person. Yeah.
2: And I'm also not suggesting I disagree with the language. Yeah. Right, in principle, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's valid language. It's just not valid language for the work environment.
1: Yeah, right. and, and, and I think that in general, uh, because I've, at some point I did try to use it outside of the work environment. When you have labels that are not neutral, as you were saying, people tend to avoid resonating with them. It's just natural. Mm-hmm. So you need to use things that people don't feel bad for saying, yeah, I'm like that. And that applies not only to the different levels, but uh, to the, the strategies. If there is something like with Taipei, when we say striving to feel powerful, every time we teach it, we do explain what we mean by power, because in some cultures, power is a bad thing. It's wrong. There's abuse attached to it. So we define the terms so that it doesn't cause this kind of rejection that makes people not want to see themselves as an aid, even if they are. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the power of finding that neutral language is, um, I I, find, I see all the time in the Enneagram community and, and outside of it too, but, either toxic positivity or toxic negativity, either addicted to finding all the things that are wrong with me, or addicted to finding all the ways in which I am superior in some way. Um, And sometimes those are overlapped in some way, but I think finding that neutral language of the dynamic language of, of verbs, of striving to feel this way in those actions can be healthy and unhealthy, you can be adaptive and maladaptive, and those can be, depending on the situation, the same action can be um, any of those all at the same time.
2: Yeah, and, and it's the strategy can manifest itself in all sorts of forms and all sorts of environments, right? If we take mm-hmm. striving to feel powerful, for example, well, you know, a priest or a monk or a nun can be striving to feel powerful. Mm-hmm. And so can a mafia boss, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, it expresses differently, but it's, you know, it's a term that's value neutral, right? You know, mm-hmm. energy, for example, is, you know, it's value neutral, right? I can mm-hmm. I can burn down a house with it or I can light a house with it. And all of these words that we chose are similar. With a lot of the terminology, you know, for some reason, somebody told me the other day, oh, well, I'm a loyal skeptic on the Enneagram. And so you take a phrase like that, and you know, for me, okay, I've narrowed it down to two things about this person, and I'm thinking about them being a loyal person, and I'm thinking about them being a skeptical person, mm-hmm. but I can't take it that much further. But if I say that it's somebody that's striving to feel secure, there's a whole bunch of ways that can manifest itself. And skepticism might be one of them, and loyalty might be one of them, but there are a whole lot of other ways. And so people will be able to better identify themselves because not all sixes are loyal, and not all sixes are necessarily skeptics, but they all are striving to feel secure in some way. Mm
1: -hmm. Why don't you go through the symbol and explain, uh, not explain, but mention all nine strategies. Sure.
2: Yeah, well, I'll make it quick. So, uh, point one: striving to feel perfect. Okay, you know, and with all of these, people are going to quibble, and that's okay. And and in in the book, we gave some synonyms. You know, they might say this, they might say that. One of the I think the better quibbles we've had, Maria Jose, is somebody saying it's more about striving to be beyond reproach. Okay, and and that's a refinement. But when I started thinking about it, I was like, okay, how do you get beyond reproach by
1: Being perfect.
2: perfect. You know, so, uh, right. So, um, so, okay, that's fine. It still means the same thing. And if you feel more comfortable saying that, then okay, but I'm still going to think of it as striving to feel perfect, right? Uh, Point two, uh, striving to feel connected. Now, this is a little bit different because everybody talks about the two as helpers, right? And in my experience, in my experience, not all twos are helpers. Right, that was the language I used early on. I was working with a team, and uh, there was a woman there who was a two. She was a transmitting two, and when I was talking to somebody else, and I said, "Oh, so and so is a helper," his response was, "That bitch is a helper. What are you kidding me?" Right? And you know, it's so, uh, uh, is that going to get us an explicit rating again? There on this Maybe one? I might right. just take it out. <laughs> uh, that unpleasant person as it was a helper. (laughs) Uh, So not all twos are helpers. And the reason that a lot of twos do help is because it makes them feel connected, right? What better way to connect to somebody than to do something for them, right? Uh, If I bring you pie, you're going to love me, right? Kind of thing. Okay. So, uh, So we think, again, that's one of those things where something's deeper going on than just this idea of being a helper. Point three, we call striving to feel outstanding. Again, that's fairly common. It's somebody who's trying to stand out in some way to be better than others. I had somebody say to me one time, I don't have to be the best. I just have to be better than everybody else, Uh, (laughs) who was a three, right? Uh, Which, you know, uh, okay, (laughs) you know. And and it shows to how people kind of internalize these things, right, and how they wrestle with them, that to somebody on the outside, that's a distinction without a difference. But to him, it Mm. was a real difference, Point four, we call striving to feel unique, okay? And, you know, you said before the session that you resonate more with striving to feel distinct, okay? Mm -hmm. And, all right, you know, what makes somebody distinct? Well, there's nobody else like them, right? What is
0: something that there's nothing else like? It's unique, right? So uh quickly quickly defend myself in that sometimes one can... I find myself... Knowing how to be distinct without trying to feel unique. How is that? In in that. Say more. <laughs> Here's a bit more rope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I just, in per, yeah, sure. We're we're saying the same things on some level, but what I. What I hear when people describe uniqueness is often not what I experience as a four. And so the reason for changing that word is to kind of help shake that unique means strange or weird. But I that's don't not con- what it means. Right? That's Sure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I throw the distinctness in there is because it's not like I don't need to be weird and off the charts right. in order to be different or distinct yeah um, that, uh, that's my that's my only critique. I mean, yes, we're saying the same thing, but I yeah, uh, and, and
2: see, so you're absolutely right. And so we all bring baggage to words, right? Mm-hmm. We all bring baggage to language. and Maria Jose talked about the baggage around the striving to feel powerful. and so so again, we're not dogmatic about this, right? Mm-hmm. If you're more comfortable with that, that's fine. You know, we're going to talk about you behind your back, but, um, you know.
1: And we still <laughs> no, no. think about you as trying to feel unique and not distinct. Yeah, right, right, yeah, <laughs> right. Whatever yeah, you, you know. say. Uh, but,
2: but distinct is just another word of saying unique, right? And, sure. Uh, you know, and, and and we can get into, okay, well, what does that, what does that mean for you, Greek, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then how can we use whatever that means for you to help you grow is mm-hmm. what we're after here, right? Not yeah. trying to say, no, 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 you have to use our language, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't
0: care, right? So, yeah, no, um, I use it in addition to unique, yeah, in order to help.
2: That's an additional qualifier or something, yeah. There. You know, that's exactly. fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, what we don't say is that every four, you know, we don't say the artist, for example, yeah, because there's a lot of fours out there to your point who are not beret wearing, purple suited, clove cigarette smoking weirdos, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're just regular people who you can't pick out of a crowd, right? right. But there's something about them that's striving to feel unique in some way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So type five, it's, it's always interesting because this one is one that to some people feels not value neutral. We call striving to feel detached. Okay, uh, Some people call it the investigator. Some people call it, you know, uh, people often the highlight the observer, that sort of thing. But, you know, we've met people who are not investigators we've met fives who aren't that smart aren't that curious and so forth it's about an emotional detachment that they're trying to maintain right there's emotional buffer that they're putting in the world and the observing is a way to do that right I don't detach so I can observe I don't detach so I can investigate I investigate and I observe so I can feel detached Right, so it's you know it's it's not a chicken and the egg. It's the you know it, the, the egg did come first, right? Because eggs were around before chickens, right? Dinosaurs laid eggs, right? So um, you know that solves that. It's not really an eternal question because we know the answer to it. Uh, so, uh, okay, right? so I'll move on. Um, point six striving to feel secure. Not all sixes are loyal, right? Not all sixes are skeptics. Not all sixes are anything that I'm aware of, other than on the lookout for what could go wrong, right? And trying to mitigate against it. That's what's happening. Point seven, we call striving to feel excited. In an ideal world, we would use striving to feel stimulated. In English, that has a different connotation sometimes that might be a little awkward. Um, In Spanish, it's the opposite, right? Maria Jose uses, you uh, you know, the Spanish... A version of stimulated uh, there rather mm. than excited.
1: You were going um, to try to say it.
2: I was, but then I know better because you'd mock <laughs> me, and you
1: know, so
2: I would lose my position of authority on the podcast, you know, by being mocked. <laughs> right? Which you so, think you
1: have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's striving to feel excited. It's not always being optimistic. It's not always being happy. It's not always being upbeat, because I live with three sevens, and they just ain't. Right there's a lot of sevens <laughs> who wrestle with depression and who complain and do all mm-hmm. these other sort of things. Uh, type eight is striving to feel powerful. Uh, Power is the capacity to produce a result. Does that include, very often, controlling their environment? Absolutely, right. Uh, but the reason that eights want to control their environment and dominate other people is so they can feel powerful so I can get done the things that I feel like I need to get done. Okay. And finally, point nine: striving to feel peaceful. Again, that's a, that's a pretty common way of thinking about this. I just, just want a state of inner peace, right? So I can kind of chill out psychologically. Hmm. So the idea behind the strategy is when I feel this way, everything is okay. When I don't, Feel this way When I don't feel powerful I don't feel perfect I don't feel unique Then I start acting out in some way In order to get back to that state I am trying to feel Okay. So if I'm not feeling powerful What do I do? I exert my power Okay if Marie Jose is not feeling perfect, what does she do? She criticizes herself, tries to fix things, tries to fix her environment, etc. If a four doesn't feel unique or distinct or whatever they want to call it, what do they do? <laughs> they prove that I am okay yeah. by coming when up with fe- a different
1: name, for example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but when we feel Shouts that fight.
2: state, when we feel that state, all feels as if it's in equilibrium, right? So. And this is what is driving the types from our perspective. Okay, I need to feel a certain way. When I feel that way, everything's fine. When I don't, I start acting out so I can get back to feeling that way.
0: Okay. Well, all, hopefully all that makes sense. Um, <laughs> that was a lot, <laughs> I think. But uh, we have many more episodes to come to explore these, these concepts and the strategies. So we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awareness to slash podcast.